Hello, Biblos Church family. It's good to connect with you guys today. I wanted to take a quick second while I was out and about um, and just say hello and introduce this next segment that we're going to be bringing to you. If you've ever wrestled with someone who just can't see what it is you're saying, you show them verse after verse, chapter after chapter, voluminous amounts of material that easily illustrates baptism in the name of Jesus and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and yet they just can't see it, you might be dealing with someone who is spiritually blind and deaf. We don't say that to minimize anyone. We say that because we all were before Jesus Christ began to deal with us. And the Bible says that if you are born again, then you can see the kingdom of God. This session is for you. We've come back from the peak conference. Our young people are excited. They are filled with the Holy Ghost. We had an amazing time. 7,000 young people worshiping and glorifying God and just having an amazing time. We're back home in Durham with our feet on the ground. And another thing that has crossed my mind is we have, and we are going to be beginning a new ministry. We're calling it the Agora Initiative. The Agora was the plaza or the marketplace, the center of town where the commerce happened. And we have apostolic inventors, apostolic entrepreneurs, creative people, apostolic poets, songwriters. We're going to put together a, a brainstorming center where people can share their ideas, talk about their ideas, and hopefully we can help harness some of the creativity. I believe that when God created the world, he, we know him as the creator. And when he fills us with his spirit, I believe we get an amazing creative dynamic in our own lives. We hope to help people harness that. So stay tuned for that. But anyway, um, we're going to head over to the studio. We're going to talk about this and Hopefully we can leave you with a better understanding of what it means when people read other people's mail. God bless you. Um, today, I wanted to take a moment and I wanted to talk to you about touch base on a topic that I, I touched on last week when I was uh, dealing with the subject of speaking in other tongues. It's It's a topic that is intimidating to people because it is so radical. And Isaiah actually said people would have a hard time with it. He said that with stammering lips and another tongue, God would speak. And it would be the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. It would be the refreshing. And then God prophesies, yet they would not hear. And so we had some skeptics that came on the comments here at Biblos, and one of them was a, he claimed to be a linguist. He, he used the language of a linguist, and another was simply a man who just felt like the gift of the Holy Ghost and its exercise in speaking in tongues, the exercise of speaking in tongues that accompanies that, that it was not for us, that he even used the word, it is an abomination. Now, I could sit down and write a book as to why none of that is true, but it's easier to talk about it. <clears throat> it's a lot simpler, and rather than go back and forth, I'll try to address some of that here um, at the outset, because my topic today is going to be this, and I referenced it. Some of you asked for it again, um, and I'm going to talk about it. It is reading other people's mail, reading other people's mail. It is one reason why so many have such a difficult time understanding topics like speaking in other tongues, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, what it means to believe on the Lord, all of these phrasings that people just simply arbitrarily interpret. They, they superimpose a denominal narrative onto the text that is not there, and they refused to look at the first day of the church when every person spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So I hope I can 
help clear up some of this confusion today. So guys, um, those that made comments and, and had questions, this one is for you. I'll take your questions at face value, and hopefully you're, it's not just a contentious argument, but hopefully we're here to learn and love the things of God. Um, I'm reading from Revelation chapter 5. This is Revelation 5 and verse 1. Let's take a second and look at it. This is what John said. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or in earth <laughs> I lost my place. <laughs> or in earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp, golden bowls, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Now I could take this and I could talk about this for five hours. There's so much to unpack in just these few verses. Just at the outset, let me just briefly mention kings and priests. We are to be kings and priests in the earth. The kingship references natural dominion. The priesthood represents spiritual dominion. We're supposed to reign in our lives, reign in our finance, reign in our business, reign in real estate, in, in, in what we put our hand to do in a, in a physical um, administration. We are to reign spiritually, and we are to take dominion in teaching the word of God and worship and building churches and, and winning the lost to God and giving the testimony of Jesus Christ to the world. And we are not to do one to the detriment of the other. We're not supposed to be so spiritually minded we're no earthly good, so heavenly minded we're no earthly good. Pray 24 hours a day, read the Bible, never work, never put our hand to anything, never actually engage with the world. Well, that's out of balance and vice versa. If all you do is work and make money and pursue the dollar and you never engage in the spirit of things, then that's out of balance. But the Bible says that there was an angel that came down with one foot on the land and one foot on the sea. It is an illustration of balance between the two worlds. He would walk in two worlds. It was a, an illustration that we are supposed to walk in two worlds. We operate just as comfortably in the secular as we do in the spiritual. Praise God. One other little thing that I like is the Bible says that he saw a lamb as it were slain. Don't let that slip by you guys. That is so good. Think about this. When John saw Jesus when he was young, many feel that he was either a late teen or maybe a, a young man in his early 20s. He was young. And he walks and talks with Jesus Jesus dies. He sees him ascend up into heaven. Now, if historians are right, he is either in his 70s, 80s, or 90s, depending on where his exile to Patmos fell. This is, I don't know, 70 A.D., 80 A.D., uh, uh, before the fall of Jerusalem, more than likely. So it would have been before 70 A.D., so he's an old man. He hasn't seen Jesus in decades, and he's been preaching the gospel. He's actually exiled for preaching the gospel. And in Revelation 1, when he sees the Lord, it's the first time he's seen him in this spiritual administration where 
everything that he knew in his earthly ministry has now come to pass, and he sees Jesus in his cosmic, kingly, monarchical role. It's been decades since he died on the cross. But yet the Bible says he saw the lamb as it were slain. If you read it in Greek, it is the idea that it was just slain, freshly slain. The blood has not clotted. The blood is dripping as any sacrifice recently done would do. And the point I'm trying to make to you today is when he saw the lamb as it were slain, it's like it had just happened. Decades hadn't passed. It was like it just happened. So I'm here to tell you that when you sin, you have an advocate. You have a lamb whose blood is as fresh and as redemptive today as it was the day that he died on Calvary. It doesn't matter if 50 years has passed, 500 years has passed, or 2,000 years has passed. It is all as, is, as if he had just been slain. And it's just as efficacious. It is just as redeeming. It is just as holy. And if you need the blood of Jesus, it is applicable right now. You don't have to find blood stains on the road, the Via Dolorosa. You don't have to find a cross or a splinter or a shroud of Turin with some blood stains on it. You don't need it. In the Holy Ghost, it's as if he were just slain. And, and this, the, the imagery here is so fantastic that people get lost. They don't know how to read that. But the Bible tells you very explicitly that the seven eyes, <clears throat> the seven horns, the, are the seven spirits of God. The seven spirits of God. We see those seven spirits in Revelation 1. These are, it's, it's the candlestick of the tabernacle. That's why Moses replicated that on the earth. He saw that in heaven. There are seven spirits of God that go throughout all the earth. And I can tell you what those seven spirits are. You'll find them in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a rod <clears throat> out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. This is the seven candlesticks. This is the seven spirits. The Spirit of the Lord, that's the main trunk of the candlestick. So when they would fill that candlestick, they would pour it down the center column, and it was the main reservoir down to the basin. And then as the oil filled it, it would then go up into the knops. It would go up into the branches. So there was one main trunk and these three supplementary trunks on each side. So six branches coming out, one in the middle. The Spirit of the Lord is the one in the middle. That's the main one. Before you can get the gifts of the Spirit, you got to get the Spirit. <laughs> you want to be filled with His Spirit. That's It's using uh, terminology that would lend itself to, the, to a liquid. I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And just like Samuel poured out oil upon Aaron, or rather upon David, and Moses poured out oil upon Aaron to anoint them. That's what happens when you are baptized with the Holy Ghost. Well, here it's oil, <clears throat> and it's the Spirit of the Lord that rests upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. These seven administrations. Now, People have such a hard time grasping how all of these attributes can be one God. This is the same dynamic as the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That it can be one God in the context of redemption who works in three ways. It's like a three-fold candlestick. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's how he operates in redemption. Here, as the seven spirits of God, it's one oil. Same stuff, yet it, it fills the whole candlestick and there's seven flames. And it is these seven administrations. This is what is before the throne of God in Revelation. This is the light. This, this is the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. This is the light of Revelation that banishes barbarism, that pulls 
the nations out of gross darkness and out of superstition. This is the cornerstone of Western civilization. This is the Spirit of the Lord and all of its manifaceted, manifold, multifaceted, I should say, operation, operations with men. So the way that that's put into metaphor in, in the book of Revelation is the lamb has seven eyes. Has seven eyes. Oh, that's impossible. That's a physical impossibility. So for all of the hyper-literalists that want to read Revelation as though it's a completely literal book, lambs don't have seven eyes. But it is a way of saying it's omniscient. It sees everything. Jesus is omniscient. In other words, perfect vision. Or, maybe I could say it this way, a spiritual vision. That day that they caught the woman in the very act of adultery, there were a lot of two-eyed men there who only saw a guilty person. A lot of two-eyed men who were ready to kill ready to pronounce judgment, caught in the very act. And I've always wondered what happened to the guy. If they caught her in the act, what happened to the guy? There were some two-eyed guys there that let the guy go. <laughs> but they were talking to Jesus. He was the lamb that had all knowledge. He saw much more than the people with limited perspective did. Perfect vision, perfect, more perfect understanding. He probably saw her need for acceptance. Perhaps he saw her abusive relationships that had led her to this calamitous decision she was in. Maybe he saw that The man and the woman had become over-familiar by unwisely spending too much time together, and maybe they weren't bad people. Maybe they had exercised a terrible, terrible lack of caution. But whatever it was, the seven-eyed administration of Jesus was able to look at her and say, He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And don't you ever think that lamb's not looking at you too. He knows what you've done that you just didn't get caught for. He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And the perfect balance of omniscience and omnipotence. Omnipotence means all power. That's what the seven horns are. The horns on an ox. The horns on a deer. The horns on whatever animal. It represents power. It rep represents authority. It's the perfect balance of vision, omniscience, and omnipotence. <clears throat> And Jesus walked in that administration, and that's who was worthy to take this book, to loose the seals, to open the book, and to look thereon. All right, let me just, I, I, could, I could spend all day talking about that. It is so fascinating. But what I really want to get to is the fact that you can't understand the letter without Jesus. And people read this and they think, well, okay, no, no, whatever book that was, nobody could understand it and he, only he could read it. Okay, whatever that means. Let me tell you what that means. This is why denominal people don't understand the Bible. They're looking at the letter and they can't loose the seals thereof. They are not worthy to look upon it. And I'm specifically talking about some people that comment on our videos. One man, <clears throat> he seems like a very nice man. He has a very honest and open-ended question. And it's a question many people have. And he, he actually starts out with a very inflammatory statement. I'm going to take it at face value and just I'm going to hope he's not trying to cast stones or to mock. That remains to be seen, but... Basically, he asks the question, um, or he makes the statement, that speaking in tongues isn't necessary and that the way people exercise it today is an abomination. 
Now, let me just take that. An another man tries to use a linguistic approach. I forget their names right now, but they're in the comments in the last video. So if you're watching, guys, this one's for you. <laughs> um, he tries to take a linguistic approach, and he's obviously very educated, and he has formal training, some postgraduate education and linguistic language-oriented education. <clears throat> and he tries to prove that on the day of Pentecost, it was not a supernatural speaking in other tongues. Um, the way that people claim it today, but that it was a, a supernatural administration in, in a boldness and a fervor that caused them to speak in languages um, or speak in a manner of language that was different than what people had heard before. Maybe not other languages per se, but the way that they were speaking it, it was, there was nothing overtly supernatural in terms of the way people interpret speaking in tongues today. And both of these men are trying hard to resist that message. I would suspect that neither one of them has ever received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the speaking in other tongues that accompany it because that experience is so dynamic, so dynamic that you wouldn't resist it, you wouldn't fight it, and you surely wouldn't call it an abomination. And I, I contend to you that that is because they are scrabbling and tearing at the scroll at the book, trying to open it, and they cannot because you are not worthy to look thereon unless you go through Jesus Christ. And you cannot go through Jesus Christ until you are born of Jesus Christ. This is a message that only Jesus can read and his children. It is a message to the church. You cannot understand the Old Testament or the New Testament unless it is through the lens of the apostolic Book of Acts experience. Look at this verse, John chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. You know, everybody wants to quote John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And there are so many people that will quote that. How, do I, how am I saved? How do I get saved? Well, John 3, 16. I'm sure you've heard that. I'm sure you have friends that have heard that or perhaps have said that. And it's just this little mantra, this little flippant, Ah, John 3.16, you know, just rolls off the tongue so easily. <laughs> and we agree. We agree with John 3.16, but you should read John 3.1-16. Read the chapter. Because the context of John 3.16 is not, I believe in you, Jesus. Ah, there. I'm saved now. Whew. I could use a popsicle. What about you? <laughs> just this casual, you know, come down to the front, say this prayer. and Looky there, you were just born again. No, no, nothing could be further from the truth. And all this has to do with trying to open the scroll and loose the seals, and, 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 and you're not even seeing it. Let's try to look at it through the lens of Jesus. Jesus comes to a man named Nicodemus, and he tells Nicodemus, except you're born again, watch this, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Just, just let that pause, pause right there, and let that sink in. He can, Except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. A lot of times apostolics will jump to John 3, 4, and 3, 5. But I want to stop at John 3, 3. He cannot see. Revelation 5 said you are not worthy to look thereon. You can't open the seals. No man was found worthy in heaven, on the earth, or under the earth. Until Jesus came. Until the Lamb with seven eyes and seven horns. He is worthy. You know, there are hyper-literalist prophecy people who try to say, well, look, there's the Trinity right there. There's, there's Jesus bringing the book to the Father. Look, see, they're different. There are two people there. <laughs> and they're very selective in their literalism that they employ. I mean, if we're going to be completely literal, then Jesus is a 
four-hoofed creature with wool. <laughs> I mean, don't be halfway literal. I mean, go all the way. If we're going to just hyper-literalize everything, this isn't a picture of two divine beings working in conjunction with each other. This is a beautiful illustration in a metaphorical sense of how the man Christ Jesus worked with the invisible spirit of God, and he took the book from God, the man Christ Jesus working in conjunction with the spirit. God puts this pictorial display on for us to show us how redemption works, not how two gods dance around each other. Or, Sorry for my Trinitarian friends, two persons. They, they, they would take issue with the word gods. So the persons, two divine persons are working together. That's not what this is. And it's not a four-hoofed creature. <laughs> he's the Lamb of God. He is, he's the man Christ Jesus. He doesn't literally have six or seven eyes and seven horns. In the metaphor of the book of Revelation, he has it. And it's, it's how God shows John his omnipotence and his omniscience. Seven eyes, spiritual vision, spiritual power, seven spirits of God. So <clears throat> denominal people, religious people try to read the New Testament. They try to open that book. They try to understand it. And they come away with just believe on Jesus because John 3.16 says it. That Nothing could be further from the truth in the way that they're applying it. Jesus tells Nicodemus this. He said, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Now this is Roman or Hebrews rather, Hebrews chapter 12. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. You know, we're not worthy to look thereon until we come through Jesus. So until you're born again, you can't understand anything. So don't tell me speaking in tongues is not of God until you've received the Holy Ghost. And then inevitably they say, well, I did receive the Holy Ghost. Really? Okay, then tell me about that. I would like to know. What happened? Well, I got goosebumps, or I accepted Christ into my heart, or I felt great joy, or I, I signed the church's roster, and I made a commitment in my heart. All of these modern church practices. And the truth is, the only way to be born again is to what do what Jesus then said, is to be born of the water and born of the Spirit. The water-spirit template, you can read, you can hear about that in another Biblos episode, but that water-spirit template is Acts 2, when they were baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts 8, baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts 10, at Cornelius' house, baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues. Acts 19, where the first two questions that Paul asks are, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And unto what then were you baptized? The first two questions out of Paul's mouth to the disciples of John were, have you been born of the Spirit? Have you been born of the water? Because he knew that you must do that to enter the kingdom of God. And you can't even see it until you've done it. So what I'm contending is you can't understand Romans until you've had that. Another way of saying that is you'll never understand Romans if you don't go through Acts. And I'll give you a perfect illustration. <clears throat> and this is what I mean by reading other people's mail. Romans is a letter. It's an epistle. And it's not to the unsaved. If you read it, it is to the church at Rome. This is a letter written to saved people who have already been saved, who, has, who have already been born again of the water and spirit. They've come through the book of Acts. One way of saying that would be, imagine me writing a letter to my wife. I write a letter to my wife. I guess today it'd be a text message. <laughs> but in their world in scripture it would be a an epistle or a letter and in that letter I say I love you so much I'm so thankful for you I'd like to meet you for dinner at this restaurant 
I, I want to just sit down and talk with you. I can't wait to see you. <clears throat> Somebody gets a hold of that letter besides my wife, and they open that letter and they say, oh, my goodness, I had no idea that Brother Urshan felt this kind of way about me. I, I'd love to go to dinner. And he or she plops down in the seat across from me at the appointed time and says, ta-da, <laughs> thank you so much for the invitation. <laughs> I'm looking at them and they're looking at me and we have two very different expectations. I'm going to say, what are you doing in that seat? I don't want to get to heaven and try to take a seat and find out that the, ne the letter never was for me. It's for a very specific person. And those letters, every one of them, the epistles, were for the people who came through the book of Acts Church. And if you open up the letter and it's not meant for you, you're going to misinterpret what has been written. This is what it means to read other people's mail. Here's a prime example. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. As it is written, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you come parachuting out of a plane and land in Romans 10, and you open up a letter that was never written for you, you get this. Lord, I confess you, come into my heart there, I'm saved. No need for baptism, no need for no need for repentance, the way it's described in the Bible. I just confessed the Lord. The Bible says I'm saved, and I called on the name of the Lord. Looky there. This Christian stuff is pretty simple. <clears throat> now, contrast that. You come through the book of Acts, where on the day of Pentecost, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Contrast it with Cornelius' house where they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues, and the Jews that were with them were astonished because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter said, Can any man forbid water which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? He references Acts 2 with that. The Gentiles got it just like the Jews got it. What could convince them? Of course, speaking in tongues. Before Romans 10, there was Romans 8, that he would send forth the spirit of adoption. You would cry, Abba, Father. You've received the spirit of adoption. The confessing with your mouth is when a person is baptized in Jesus' name and you call the name of Jesus over them. Like Ananias told Saul, arise and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now that's what happened in the Bible. And then when they received the Holy Ghost, they called on the name of the Lord, fulfilling David's prophecy in Acts 2, that my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad, and thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. My heart rejoiced, my tongue was glad, and Acts 2 directly corresponds with Romans 10, that with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The only template we have for people opening up their mouth is in baptism and receiving the Holy Ghost speaking with tongues. And if you come through Acts, it's completely organic. And that letter's for you to the church at Rome. It's not for a stranger to walk in that never encountered the day of Pentecost, never encountered Cornelius' house, never encountered Acts 8 with the Samaritans, never encountered Acts 19 and that, that dynamic New Testament experience. They just come in, open up the Bible, plop down and assume the letters for them. It's not. It's for the church, and that's why people misinterpret it. So back to John 3.16. Uh, let me back up. Let me back up. Let me give you one more illustration of, of what it means to not see. Jesus then tells Nicodemus, because Nicodemus doesn't understand what in the world Jesus means. Born again, born again, what? And Jesus further clarifies. Nicodemus says, can a man enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And 
Jesus further clarifies. He says, except a man, verily, verily. And by the way, that verily, verily means pay attention. It's a way of emphasizing and highlighting. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God, so he cannot see in John 3.3. 3. He cannot enter in John 3.5. So you cannot see, you cannot enter. You can scrabble with around with the scroll. You can pull at the seals. You can do whatever you, and, and that's what they do. They're pulling at Romans 10. They're pulling at John 3.16. They're, they're, they're pulling and at 1 Corinthians 14, the gift of tongues, the gift of salvation. We're, we're trying to figure this out, and we're, we're putting things together that we're never meant to put together because you're reading other people's mail. You'll see this dynamic in Isaiah 6. Where the Bible says that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Angels cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. They call that the divine superlative. It's the highest holy. He, God is the highest of the holy. He's the most high. And the smoke filled the room. The doorpost shook. The Bible said that the angels had wings with twain. They covered their face with twain. They covered their feet, and with twain they did fly. Uh, I heard a preacher preach this one time. It was so beautifully put, so well said, that only two of those wings were for flying. The other two were for covering the eyes and for covering the feet. So when you go to John 3, 3, John 3, 5, you could not see and you could not enter. The angel's eyes were covered and his feet were covered because you cannot see and you cannot enter without Jesus. And that Isaiah 6 illustration, he's flying with two of the wings, but he was telling you, you can't see it and you can't walk in. Angels desire to look into it and they can't. Only Jesus is worthy to take the book, to loose the seals, open them, and to look thereon. So John 3, 5, you must be born of the water, born of the Spirit. And then he tells them, the wind bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof. So <clears throat> the wind, the pneuma, blows where it listeth, you hear the phonos, the sound thereof. Canst not tell whence it, whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Everyone that is born of the Spirit, there will be a wind, there will be a sound. That is the speaking in tongues. That is the crying out, Abba, Father. That is the, the expression of God, His Spirit testifying for us. Galatians 4, He will send forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, and that Spirit will cry, Abba, Father. That's speaking in tongues. As the Spirit, Acts 2, 4, as the Spirit gave them utterance. <clears throat> this is what Simon the sorcerer saw when the apostles laid hands on the Samaritans and he said, give me money that I could purchase this power that you have, this radical power. But he was trying to enter in. He was trying to see, and he was not worthy to look thereon. He had to repent of his sins. He had to be baptized in the name of Jesus, and he had to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, to be born of the water and born of the Spirit. And then and only then, once you've gone through the book of Acts, can you finally open Romans' seals. Romans is an impenetrable mystery until you go through Acts. First and Second Corinthians is an impenetrable mystery until you go through Acts. Revelation. It's the revelation, not the mystery of Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus, and it is only given to his children. Everybody else is stuck outside trying to look thereon. So all of the authoritative statements and all of the uh, educated and eloquent rebuttals they ring hollow unless you've received the Holy Ghost. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about that. I want to tell you about a, a very educated man that did the same thing, and God really did a miracle in his life. Before I do that, if you keep reading John 3, he, he tells Nicodemus, how is it that you're a, a ruler in Israel and you don't know these things? <clears throat> 
know, this is a, a great gift. This is a great and powerful thing in, in so many words. And then he says, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever looks to him will have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. <clears throat> so much to unpack right there. If you just land on John 3.16, you get a carnal confession without being born of the water and born of the Spirit that led up to it. You can't read John 3.16 without John 3, 1 to 5. And you have to have eyes to see. John 3.16 is not about a sinner's prayer. John 3.16 is about Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. It's in the book of Numbers where the people committed adultery and they fell into sin and fornication. They fell into sin and God was so angry at them that he sent what the old English calls fiery serpents among them. And they bit them, and they, the people were dying, and they cried out to the Lord. The Lord told Moses to fashion a serpent out of brass or bronze and to put it on a stick and to hold it up, put it on a pole and hold it up in the air. And whoever looked to that bronze serpent would be delivered from the venom that was coursing through their body. And that's exactly how Jesus Christ heals us from our sin today. There is a snake. He's a fiery serpent. He's that old serpent. And he has bitten everybody. He has bitten all of humanity. And that venom is called sin. And it courses through you and it courses through me. And there would be one who would come, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. And Jesus Christ would be lifted up in the wilderness. The Son of Man would be lifted up. And just like they looked upon that serpent in Numbers, they look upon that serpent in the New Testament and they are healed from the venom in their body. How could Jesus be a serpent, you say? He was made sin who knew no sin. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh and he took upon himself the sins of the world. Jesus Christ becomes sin for you and I and our sin and our infirmities are placed upon him in that sense He's typified by the serpent, and he's lifted up, and all of our transgressions are placed upon him just like they were on that Old Testament serpent. This is what it means, John 3.16. It means to be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with the Holy Ghost, and you must begin to look to Jesus in order to do that. You go to Calvary where Jesus died. You go to Jerusalem where he was. He told them to tarry until you be endued with power from on high. They were born of the water. They were born of the Spirit. John 3.16 segues directly with Acts 2. And if you came through Acts 2, you would know that. And you wouldn't be reading other people's mail. The epistles, the word epistle means a letter. And all of them were written to people who had already gone through the book of Acts experience. Who do you think Philippians was writ to, written to? The Philippian jailer, Acts chapter 16. And the Bible says that they baptized him and there was great joy in his house. They rejoiced. That's a code word for they received the Holy Ghost. That's why Peter said we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. <laughs> That joy unspeakable is the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. Once you come through Acts 2, you know that. My heart rejoiced. My tongue was glad. And the children of Jesus Christ opened the letters that it took the revelation of Jesus Christ to reveal to us. We can now open these books and understand them with the revelation of the Spirit to guide us and direct us. You cannot have that until you're filled with the Holy Ghost. That's when the words jump off the page. That's when they make sense. And there are PhDs that don't understand this. Let me tell you the story of Dr. James Weber. Dr. Weber was a brilliant man. He was a Methodist minister. He was also a Moravian minister, a very learned man. He was the dean of theology at the University of Indianapolis, in 1970, 1971, right in there, 69, 70, 71. 
My father, Nathaniel Paul Urshan, was a young student there, and Dr. Weber was a friend of my grandfather, Nathaniel A. Urshan, the general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church. And Dr. Weber was one of the most gracious, kind men. He was brilliant. He, his, his presence, his demeanor, the grace with which he conducted his daily activities, he was amazing. And he was so genteel, and he was so merciful and so kind and understanding that it shook a lot of people's faith. There were people that had been born of water and spirit that did not have near the character development of Dr. James Weber. He was mightily used in Christian, in Christian lifestyle. And he was a brilliant expositor of several things in Scripture, but he did not understand the book of Acts. He was a modern-day Cornelius. As a matter of fact, my dad said that. And here's my dad. He's 18, 19 years old, and he's talking to this friend of my grandfather. Might have been Dad might have been 20, 21. But he's a young college kid, and he's talking to the dean of theology, and he just says to him, Dr. Weber, you need the Holy Ghost. Oh, I already have the Holy Ghost, Nathaniel. I received Christ into my heart. And, you know, he was so kind to the young student, and he was very, very, um, he was, he was a good mentor to many people, but he just did not understand it. And what I'm trying to tell you is he was, he thought he knew how to open the book. And there was an experience. The, the climactic pinnacle experience of the New Testament had been withheld from him because of denominal blindness. And the bulldog determination of a young man who didn't know any better, N.A. Urshan's son, N.P. Urshan, <laughs> he just kept after him. And he said things like, Dr. Weber, you're Cornelius. You talk to angels. You, you're the Acts 10 Italian. You give alms to the people. You pray to God always. always. You, you, you are an amazing person. God does speak to you, but there's something more. And they read the story of Cornelius together, and that doctor looked at him and said, I don't know what the fuss is all about, but maybe I should check it out. So he came to church one night, and Brother George Glass was preaching, and he preached a masterpiece. Dr. Weber had come multiple times. It hadn't really clicked. It hadn't really resonated with him. Pentecost can be a foreign experience, particularly someone who, someone who is just now being introduced to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. But the worship and the, the, the free flow and expression of the Holy Ghost, it intrigued him. And by the way, when the Bible says that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life, don't read that carnally. Read that in the context of John chapter 7. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture have said, hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That's speaking in tongues. That's the receiving of the Holy Ghost. He that believeth on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit which they that believe on him should receive. So when you read John 3.16, read it with that knowledge that comes from being a child of Jesus Christ. Dr. Weber one night heard that preacher preach, and the Holy Ghost was so profound in that building. Thousands of people had gathered. The worship atmosphere was electric. And Dr. Weber came unmoored from his doctrinal anchor. He walked down the aisle, hands raised. Tears started streaming down his face. The Holy Ghost baptized him. And right there in the middle of the aisle, he began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God filled him. Here was this brilliant man who was so accomplished with so much education all these years, decades, teaching the Word of God to people from a Methodist and Moravian perspective. And I'm not knocking anybody in any faith. I'm just telling you there's more for you, Cornelius. There's more for you, Apollos. To all of my denominal friends, my Trinitarian friends, my, my Biblos listeners that maybe don't understand the inner workings of this, this is not a contentious debate. I'm here to testify and bear witness to you. The Holy Ghost is for you. 
And don't let John Calvin or Luther's teachings talk you out of it. Don't let a Catholic mindset rob you of what Jesus Christ died on the cross for. But tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Praise God. Whew. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. Dr. Weber began to speak with other tongues and the Holy Ghost filled him. It revolutionized him. He wept over the lost years that this, this unbelievable, this heavenly, this life-altering, radical, outpouring of the Holy Ghost had been withheld from him because of denominal blindness. I am telling you that in that day, he opened the scroll. He loosened the seals. And Dr. Weber began to look thereon. All of the scriptures shifted. All of the, all of the epistles sprang off the page as the lamb that was slain opened the book for him. And no longer was he reading other people's mail. But he was reading heaven's missive, heaven's epistle. God's talking to people. He's talking to you. I can feel him talking to me right now. I could speak in tongues right now. I can feel the presence of my heavenly father. And it's for you. It was for Dr. Weber. It was for every one of the apostles and all of the 120. It was for Mary, the mother of Jesus. And it's to you and your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And this is why we don't want to fall into the trap of reading other people's mail. So to my friends who have commented so much and that have such a mistaken perspective on receiving the Holy Ghost speaking with tongues, don't focus on the speaking in tongues. I realize that can be frightening. I realize that can, that can be very intimidating. Focus on receiving the Holy Ghost. And you'll find that when you do, in its fullness, your vocabulary won't be adequate to contain it, but your cup will run over, and God will put words in your mouth that you do not understand, and the spirit of adoption will come into you, and you too will cry, Abba, Father. So I hope that helps you. I hope that strengthens your understanding. You can't Fully understand Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, all of the pastoral epistles. You can't understand those without going through the book of Acts. So, until next time, God bless you and God keep you. God cause his face to shine upon you. God be gracious unto you and give you peace. Thank you for joining me this morning.